You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. Hear what you've been missing. Audix is proud to introduce the new line of dynamic closed-back headphones designed for audio professionals and audiophiles to deliver the most accurate sound possible. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast. As always, uh, full full house tonight. Got both the boys with me here. We got Chris Leonard and Kyle Bryan Turnside. What's going Ta-da, on, fellas? Tech wizard. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, Kyle's been doing health checks all day. He's uh, he's good. He's in good shape now. Yeah. <laughs> A little, you know, and I still say, what are we on? Episode what? 70, 79, 80, Chris? Sure. I mean, by this point, <laughs> you would think that we figured out how to how to work our, our kit here Hell no. at the Signal to Noise podcast and... And no, we have not. Kyle's still trying to rock the built-in laptop mic after all this time. We've oh, got him back man. on track. Uh, su- super, super embarrassing though, especially because we have a system engineer on the show tonight. So it's uh, that's always when when you know we should know better and we screw it up. Hold on. Technically, we have <laughs> a system right tech on the show every every episode, don't we? I mean, that's that's true. That's true. But it's now there's now there's two of us, and it's just you know we're fifty percent system techs, and but we finally got it working. So welcome back, everybody. You know how you do, um, do that? You justify by just jumping straight into the food questions. Okay. Well, we should you tell everyone who the guest is more. first before we can. Nope. Food food first. <laughs> uh, my man, Denny Miller, is with us tonight, joining us from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Denny is just one of the best system techs out there, in my opinion. This guy is just always working on cool stuff. And always has something interesting to contribute. And it's just a pleasure talking to this guy. He's a production manager, system engineer, and mix engineer at Miller Audio Industries. Uh, he's currently front of house and systems engineer for Volbeat. He's worked as production manager in front of house for Miguel. He's done systems engineering work for artists like Bob Dylan, Mark Anthony, the 1975, Godsmack, some Metallica thrown in there. Um, so um, super happy to have him on the show. Tenny, thanks for being here, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Truly, a, truly yeah. a pleasure. So I know Kyle. Kyle wants to get to the food stuff. So let's kick it off. Kyle, go ahead, man. I'll let you. Let you. Let you handle it. So you live in Nashville, correct? I, I do live in Nashville. What is your for, favorite for the record? Barbecue? Approximately. Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, so I'm actually a little bit south of Nashville in this little town called Murfreesboro, and we've got this hometown joint called Slick Pig Barbecue. Ooh. It's probably my favorite. Probably my favorite. I think some of the guys that live in like East Nashville would give you something different, but that's my favorite. Are we talking brisket? Are we talking burnt ends? What's what's your what's your jam there? You know, this is going to seem sacrilegious, but I think their smoked wings are probably my favorite. Close All second right. goes to the burnt ends. So let's go on to audio talk now. You can't just skip over tacos. You guys are really just going to jump right over tacos? Are you kidding me? Just circle back to it at the end. I'm of the just show, joking. Man. <laughs> Wait, so do they have smoked tacos? Brisket tacos are indeed a thing, but you know, there's also a Taco Bell like 90 seconds from my house. Perfect. Uh, now you're- oh, that's that's that's. Vi- I would be I would be 300 pounds, dude. That's just yeah, there's no way. I, I know it's it's. Look, I know it's not like real tacos. It's like American tacos, but they put something in that sauce, man. It is the sauce and the meat. It's just like, you know, even they sell like they sell the Taco Bell like kit. You take it home, make your taco at home. It still doesn't taste like Taco Bell. Like there's something special going on there. I, I don't know what it is, but it's high quality. I think Taco Bell deserves a sponsorship from the Signal to Noise podcast. I think that's how powered by tacos this really is. They 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 blocked Michael's number. He, tr- he tried. <laughs> <laughs> I was calling corporate. I was out there outside the office uh, with a sign. Um so, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Denny, you got so much cool stuff going on. I mean, you were just you were just chatting with us on, on Discord. Like, you're trying to do some crazy shit with OSC and, and Arduino. I mean, you're always, like, tweaking stuff. And I just think that's so cool, man. You're always, uh, you know, trying to improve upon something or innovate something. I mean, you, you are not the off-the-shelf, I'm going to plug this thing in and let it go guy, you know? Um, and I really think that's cool. So, I mean, how'd you... How'd you end up here? I mean, how'd you get, were you always like into 
messing with technology stuff? I mean, what what is what is uh, you know Denny Miller's childhood look like? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I definitely was sort of always the button pushing nerd. I mean, that definitely sort of spawned itself all through middle school and high school, and you know. Admittedly, I did do the tech theater thing in high school, which really kind of, I guess, was the start into this. And then, uh, you know, I, I live in the Bible Belt, so definitely, uh, you know, growing up in churches was part of it. You know, you get exposed to a lot of tech in the house of worship sort of market, if you will. Uh, and, you know, that sort of transformed itself. And, you know, you, you be in a band, you become a musician, you start working on some of your own recordings. Next thing you know, your buddy's band is kind of becoming a thing. You go on tour. It snowballs from there, right? Sort of everyone's story, I feel like, in a lot of cases. I saw a video uh, of you. I think you were out with Volbeat at the time and you were talking about your console and your outboard and the PA. And I mean, there's a lot of there I want to talk about, but you were so well-spoken, dude. And I I was just like, this is why like they only interview the front of house. They never interview the system tech on these, you know, behind the scenes videos because nobody wants to hear the system tech, you know, just go into full out, you know, nerd lecture mode. And so like you straddle that line. So, I mean, you, do you design, you design your own PA and you tune your own PA. You're doing both roles out, out with that band, right? That's pretty neat. Uh, Well, there's, there's a healthy mix there. Uh, There is too much going on with that band for me to be the sole systems engineer. So we do have a guy sort of, there's not a regular guy. So it's kind of depending on where we are regionally, I have a different system tech that'll come out, but I mean, Largely, I design the PA, you know, I, I plug in the, you know, I use a lot of Meyer sound products. So, but, you know, if it's L acoustics that day, whatever, you know, map 3D, map XT, sound vision. So I'll get out in the morning and shoot the room, come up with the angles, give it to the guys, they'll hang it up. And then generally, for the most part, as long as I'm working with someone I trust, I'll let them tune it. And then I'll just come back and walk around and listen afterwards, for the most part, unless, you know, variables given, you know, could have a weird day or something, I suppose. But also by that same token, Volbeat is a very unique thing in the sense that it's one of those few and far between tours where audio wins. You know, if there's too much weight in the ceiling, well, we're losing video or lights that day. And that's uh, that's not normal. Uh, and by that same token, you know, I get to do things, you know, to the nines. There's never a question of do we not have enough? Can we, you know, there's always, OK, we need a proper 270 hanger. We need proper delays or we need proper flown subs or whatever that situation might be. I definitely in that situation get that leeway where a lot of tours, most tours I've done are definitely the inverse of that. You know, it's always everybody wants you to work around the other departments because the visual aspect has become such a big deal. But uh, yeah, Volbeat is unique in that sense that audio wins. And also by that token, that's why I think it's it sort of lends itself to that, that person at front of house that can bridge the gap. It's definitely, I think that's an important facet of making that gig work because the the gentleman that was mixing at front of house before me, he was there for 13 years and he was the only other front of house guy the band's ever had. And he had a lot of time to get it right. And I think, and I truly believe this, that, you know, that audience has come to have higher expectations than most rock and roll crowds out there. If it's, if it's not right, they'll, the fans will let you know. And it's, uh, it's definitely a, it's a hi-fi near field experience to go to a Volbeat show on a headline tour anyways. Well, spe- speaking of, and if, if people come in and expect that experience and that quality, so listening to some of their musics today, I was just trying to, you know, get some context. And I noticed uh, his heavy processing on his vocals on the albums, uh, where there's like almost constant delay and verb. It's kind of like this big, I, I don't want to call it pop sound, but he has a big like pop vocal sound on top of this melodic rock um how much of that how much of that are you doing live and um you know what's what's that look like for you live so that's a, that's a great question so there are six time, seven time-based effects one of them being a reverb that make up that vocal sound uh, <laughs> plus that's awesome <laughs> truckload of compression and I, hey it's got to be right now the reason that i say six kind of seven is the reverb has to vary with the room because if you like put your headphones on or I use in-ears in front of house, if I put my in-ears in and I sauce that vocal to sound exactly like it did on the record, it's going to sound horrible in the, and you know, you're in a big concrete room, you know, or even sometimes worse, you know, sometimes like an indoor soccer stadium. So when you're in that environment, you just get way too much reverb going on. So I have to kind of tailor the reverb, but the delay and all the slaps, all the slapback delay is definitely still there. Um, it's thick and it's heavily compressed, but that also varies based upon 
which record the song is from. Hmm. Because if you, the further back you reach, the more sort of simple rock and roll, straightforward, almost, they're definitely a harder towards, you know, the end of metal, almost um, the genre. It's how you would describe it anyways. Uh, and those tend to be super sauced up with that vocal effect. And as you progress forward down the timeline to some of the more recent records, like the latest one, sometimes you find yourself, it's just a reverb. So that definitely changes based upon which record you're listening to. And uh, yeah, I guess that answers your question. So was I, there, a, Oh, go ahead, Kyle, I'm sorry. So I I've been to quite a few Volbeat shows on and off over the years. Cause either we, they were playing the same festival or they were at the venue. I was at their stage volume is ridiculous. How do you, <laughs> it's immense, isn't that it? Different house? Uh, so, okay. Well, first thing is, is I started working with this band at the beginning. Is it maybe it's either the end of 2015 or the beginning of 2016. Don't hold me to either of those. It's one of those, uh, at that time, you know, you would still find them playing sort of a, you know, medium sized theater, small hall kind of thing. Uh, at least stateside, uh, they've sort of grown to the arena scale a little bit, which Definitely helps with that just as far as, you know, the front rows definitely still get that kind of SPL and there's in a lot of ways, there's not much you can do about it, but we've definitely, we've come a long way uh, just over the few years that I've worked with the band. There's been, you know, we've, we lost the side fills, which was huge. The wedges are a little more tame because over time people have started to people, uh, the guys in the band have started to rely on their in-ears a little bit more. So the wedges have turned down a little bit over time, uh, which all those have been huge improvements. Uh, you know, I definitely do some overcomplicated processing at front of house to essentially gate the vocals because okay. uh, at any given time, what's the six to seven, eight, I think there's up to, depending on the configuration for the day, nine vocal mics, wired vocal mics on stage and on all the time. Uh that's that, that's a little bit of a challenge but uh you know it's it's managed to a point that i i get that studio quality vocal sound uh but yeah no doubt the, the stage volume is immense you know it's a real for, rock band and there's real amps up on stage for, for our listeners give me a give me a high sbl and what you think you brought it down to now like oh the stage I'm volume? it was ridiculous dude it was louder, yeah, it was louder than motorhead <laughs> on stage the the guy that came before me told me he measured it one day at about 124 a weighted. See, I told get out. Yeah, that is absurd. Absurd, uh, my lord. Vision. I blurry. would say now it's comfortably around 100, 203 on stage. Yeah, I mean it's come down blurry. orders of magnitude. Wow. I mean, you, you've 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 gone away from like I need to go to the emergency room, you know, like that's 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 way lower. Well, you know, that's, admittedly I mean, though, geez. even at that time, the guys still had in ears, and so much of what the monitor engineer, our monitor engineer, goes through every day is totally an effort to make them feel what they hear in their in ears. So you know, if you go up on stage now, it's there's you know, the wedges would almost sound muffled. Like they've cut a bunch of high end out, which they have because you're not feeling, you know, a, you know, let's say one K and up, you don't feel that, but everything under that, that's definitely, you can feel that vibration. Uh, and that's something the guys definitely look for without doubt. That's such an interesting concept to me. And I, I, it's something that I think we've sort of danced around on this show before, but uh, like our man, Eddie Capo that we had on, I mean, he introduced me to this concept of like, low shelf on your ears mixes because like they don't need that stuff in their ears it's all over the stage um and that's something that i will tweak the low end of my ears mixes for my artist depending on the room that they're playing um you know if it's a big stage and they're further from the subs uh give them a little bit of that back and so like that's an area where you can't ignore what's happening in the room with your in-ears and you know uh, trying to keep that consistent for them especially for my bassist my drummer, they want to feel that, you know, they want to feel that kick drum. They want to feel that, that bass, you know, sub energy. Um, that's something that, that I've really learned to pay more attention to. Cause I don't think when I first got these guys on the ears, that wasn't something that, that we were really thinking about, you know? Yeah. Without doubt. You know, it's a little hard for me to speak to as I am a, not a monitor engineer and B not the monitor engineer for this band, but just my third party perspective is the, think the thing that they work on more than anything is trying to make the guitars, still sound right in the ears yet be felt out of the wedges mm-hmm. and, and 
you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I want to feel the kick drum or I want to feel the snare. Or maybe I want to feel the bass. But when you say, I want to feel my guitar. Right. Now you're really, I, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself at front of house, like, wow, that, that sounds really challenging. I'm glad I'm not that guy. <laughs> it, I mean, so how does your PA design play into this? So like, you know, when I have an artist who I use the example in the past, you know, same venue, same PA, I've got, I've got an ACDC cover band one night and I've got a Fleetwood Mac cover band the next night. Like one of those acts has way different expectations for what they're, that what they want to experience on stage in terms of subwash than the other band. And so I actually designed the PA differently for those two acts. I mean, does that play into your, your role here at all? A little bit, but also a little not. Um, I feel like the smaller the venue is, the more I have to think about that. Uh, but if they're on like a, a headline EU tour, uh, all the venues are plenty large enough where to a degree, I can sort of do what's best for me in the crowd out front without giving a ton of consideration to what's happening on stage. That's sort of a side effect of my preference in PA deployment. So 98% of the subwoofers are flown for that show. Uh, And there is only enough energy on the floor to cover maybe from the barricade to maybe 20 or 30 feet out. Uh, And that's where the sub rays are pretty long, but that's about where they really start to pick up and cover the rest of the arena. So I'm trying to manage the area of custody of those ground subs to make it limited to only what it needs to be because no matter you got anybody that's a systems engineer is sort of familiar with, you know, the, the effect of you can't time the subwoofers to more than one place. So if I can limit the area to which those ground subs have custody, the better my coherency will be for the rest of the venue because the spacing and the way we, where we rig the points for the main PA, the outfill, the 270 and the sub hangs, there's two sub hangs and a front back cardioid config on each side of the stage. It sort of behaves as one loudspeaker system, if you will, that flown cluster. Um, so you get really nice, clean coverage from that. Uh, and to the best of my ability, I try to make the front fills and the subs associated with the front fills only cover the first couple rows. That's It's really neat listening to you talk about this because, you know, I kind of feel like, I, I mean, I'm in a situation where I'm primarily a systems engineer. I, I obviously have to mix sometimes, you know, and then like, you know, one of my projects over the last couple of months of having nothing to do has been to try to up my mixing game a little bit. Um, and we've had a lot of front of house engineers on the show, like like our, you know, Chris Raybold, Pooch, Jimmy Akabuski, these guys who are just really, really solid front of house engineers. And they've really kind of, you know, took a dive into the world of systems engineering and they really take ownership of that task. And they're really, really in tune with how the PA is being deployed and participating in the design. And I mean, it sounds like you're kind of more like me, like you're coming out from the other side. Like we are we are systems engineers, you know, kind of in our blood and and you also mix, you know, I mean, where did you, what was your first, you know, where did you come up mixing and then catch the system engineering bug? Or, I mean, how did that, how did that develop? Really? Uh, I mean, it was sort of simultaneous. I mean, uh, definitely for the professional section of my career, the first bit was like, of course it was, you know, your PA tech, you're hanging speakers that right. very quickly morphed into the systems engineer role. Um, I, I had sort of taught myself a fair portion enough to get by on a tour. Uh, when I kind of, it got dropped in my lap on a tour one day. Um, somebody got sent home, unfortunately. Uh, so, you know, it, it sort of spiraled up from there, but I I don't know. I'm, I'm a muso at heart. I feel like it's kind of hard to do, to do this job. If you're not a musician in some right, at least if you don't have a real passion for music, maybe you don't have to play an instrument, but as long as you have a passion for music, I feel like that sort of makes you worth your salt. And, you know, it's all interrelated. It's hard to say that one came before the other. So do you play something? you play an instrument? Do you grow up and are you a band nerd uh, like Kyle? (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't really do the the like band in school thing, but I was definitely a guitar player and there were definitely a couple of high school bands. I'm I'm still, uh, I still dabble today, but definitely, you know, not my, uh, not my professional foray. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there. Kyle's band just dropped a new record and it's pretty cool. I've been I've been listening to it, man. Oh man, uh, yeah, it's Chris it's bought, uh, Chris bought a sticker, bro. Yeah, he did. He did. I gotta get a sticker too. I got the I got the el- the album on. Uh, I think I got it on Amazon, and I I put it on our living room, and I was just kind of sitting on the couch doing my thing, listening to it, man. One of so, you guys uh, will have to send me a link afterwards. 
Yeah. COVID. Well, Kyle, sh- tell tell the people, man. Come on. Oh man, really? Okay, yeah. So ninety two to ninety six, I was in bands too, mid twenties, blah blah blah. We've been tossing around for a while, so we went back and uh, re-recorded all our stuff with the gear that we have now, opposed to back then. And um, yeah, man, kind of rewrote the songs, just a drummer and guitar player and me, and got a local dude to actually engineer and produce, so I didn't have to move any faders. And uh, yeah, it's available, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, all that. It, I think it turned out pretty good. But it, it, you should you should probably tell them the name of the band. Oh. <laughs> Scorched.earth.policy. There's about three more on iTunes and Spotify, but it's the album with the flame. It's pretty neat. Uh, I I consider a chapter in my book closed. But being able to record that stuff, you know, and and watch how it's done now opposed to like ADATs and the crap that we had back then, tape, you know, um, it was pretty cool. I mean, broke into a commercial for my band, bro. No, I mean, well, you know what? Signal noise. We're family here at Signal Noise. We support each other's successes, but but it also kind of it ties into what Denny's talking about. Like, you know, if you haven't tried to, you know, write a song, play a song. I mean, by doing these things, by being in a band, learning a musical instrument, they really bring you another level of context to this job that you know uh, you wouldn't have otherwise. And I'm really thankful for for my my background in music that I have and. And I know that it uh, it helps me immensely in, in a bunch of different ways and being able to, you know, communicate with musicians and to hear musical ideas. And it just makes everything else easier. Yeah. Um, Denny, are you are you uh, you know, what's your what's your interaction with the artists in terms of uh, their sound? Like you said, you know, it has to be right. Their fans have expectations for the sound. Are they doing virtual sound checks and sit next to you? Are they listening to board mixes? I mean, how's that working relationship? Depends on the artist entirely. So they're definitely, you know, without naming anyone that, you know, they're definitely artists that will come sit next to you and have absolute uh, feedback about what's happening from day to day during a virtual sound check, or sometimes even during sound check, you know, they'll pop up Mm -hmm. while the band's on stage rehearsing. They're definitely artists, uh, you know, Volbeat as of late is, I, I love working with these guys because of the fact that I kind of get to have my way with things. Um, I'd like to think that my ways are heavily influenced of, of, after listening to their show for several years. Uh, but I mean, it's definitely different. I feel like, you know, uh, my style is a little bit more, I don't want to use the word hi-fi, but it doesn't, I try not to let all the processing that's happening be heard so to speak. I try to make it a little less obvious. Um, but you know, the band, you know, as long as they're getting good feedback from their friends and their family and the fans online, they're happy. You know, they're not necessarily coming to sit with me every day. And it's actually in that case, it's typically a little bit more me trying to have interactions with them saying, Hey, like Casper, the (laughs) bass player, you know, it's like, let's, let's talk about your tone. You know, and of course, I feel like they haven't had that before. They haven't had that interaction with a sound engineer before. Mind that I'm I'm guy number two for them. So I feel like that's another kind of interaction you can have. Sometimes it's like you opening up new avenues to communicate with an artist that they're not they've never had before for one reason or another. And then there's also they're absolutely the artists, uh, you know, for Miguel there for the longest time. I had a Pro Tools rig running at front of house. So not only did it multi-track things, but it took all the subgroups out of the console. And I did up mixes for every band member where essentially their instrument was three to six dB louder than the rest of the mix. And it was all post fader from my console. So that at the end of the night, I could bounce out MP3 files for every band member and send just like a, you know, a board tape to the music director and the artist. And you would get feedback from that, which I, I loved that version of the process because it's not just it's not one-sided. It's almost a little bit more democratic, uh, which is definitely in my mind, I don't think too many people operate like that, that I've seen. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I really liked that way of working personally. But you know, that's sort of some of the things that I've seen. I'm sure there's other ways out there. I really like, I really have come to enjoy that process of working with the artists and sitting down and hearing what their thoughts are on their sound, their tones, what they're trying to accomplish um, you know, having it not be just this one way thing where something's coming down the snake and I'm going to, you know, move a fader or whatever. Like, I, I mean, I, I really like the opportunities I've had to sit down, particularly the guitarist I work with now. I mean, he's, he's, 
I'm always into, well, I got this new pedal and I think I want to try this. And I really like this sound, but I wish that my, my solo sound had a little more of this to it. And we spent a lot of time sitting down listening. I mean, we'll, we'll both put our ears in and, and listen to what he's doing and we'll record it and listen back and, you know, look at his gauge structure. And that's become a part of the process that I never really thought I would have had interest in. Um, but I really like it. It's kind of, um, it's kind of cool. And it's also, you know, I, I like that I'm able to bring that perspective of, I mean, I think we've all dealt with, right. The bass player who stands one foot in front of their amp and says, well, this is my tone. I like it to sound like this. And we're out front, we're hearing it. It's got how it's got to fit with everything in the mix. And so we bring a totally different perspective to that. Um, so when you're able to have that discussion and say, well, you know, I know you're trying to choose between these two options and, and this works better for me. And I'll tell you why in terms of how it's going to fit with everything. Um, that's something that's it's it's pretty neat. It's a pretty unique uh, relationship, and I, and I'm I'm really digging it, man. I'll tell you the truth. It is indeed, you know. And I think uh, I think there's probably a lot of engineers out there, at least you know, at the early earlier end of their career, that might be a little intimidated about trying to have those interactions. But you know, it's it's truly one of the most a it can make your life so much easier, and it's also pretty rewarding because, for example, and I'll use Miguel here again as a wonderful example. You know, he is a real producer engineer in his own right. And I will never forget the day he walked into a tour rehearsal a couple of years ago and he walked in, I was, we were, uh, we were at center staging and I had my console set up in one of the rooms off to the side. So I had sort of a little studio that I was working in and he walks in and he sits his MacBook down and he opens up the pro tool session. And he starts exporting waves presets for vocals. And I was just like, you just saved me so much time creating these vocal <laughs> effects. And, you know, from there, it's also, you know, he, him having that music background. So it's like, also beneficial if we can communicate using music theory. I don't have like a master's in music theory, but I understand enough to conversate. And, you know, at least in the in the foray of pop music. Uh, and that's definitely an, another huge thing to be able to communicate with these artists on in their language, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's one of the things that's one of the areas where my music background, you know, and I'd love to hear Chris's thoughts on this and Kyle's thoughts on this as well. But, you know, I've got I've got six people on in in my band and they all have very different backgrounds uh, some of them have been playing music their whole life some have not and so you know i have to find basically a different vocabulary for each member of the band in terms of how i'm going to communicate a certain idea and what i'm trying to get across and also kind of decoding from them what they're asking me for um to try to find you know the unique way to do that with each particular individual um that's something that I think that's one of those things where like, that's why you get a call back to a gig. Um, and it may have nothing to do with the mix that you're turning out to the audience. It's about, you know, do they feel like they can talk to you? Do they feel that you understand what, what they're asking for those types of things, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, I've mentioned this before. Um, I'm not a musician. Um, and I, I, I think there's, there's two sides to that. <clears throat> I think one is in some ways when I come to a mix, I come a little unbiased. Uh, whereas sometimes people who are musicians, they come biased to whatever, you know, that they play. Um, but then on the flip side is there are times where I could probably, if I had played, I probably could maybe hear things or identify things better or, uh, be able to communicate better. And so I I take that as, as a drawback. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's not like where you have to have been a musician to mix, uh, or, or, you know, or it's a negative thing if you haven't. I think you just need to understand where your strengths do and don't lie, um, and, and be honest about it. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, there's an element of context that I really like. Um, you know, is this something that we should address at the console? Is this something that we should address at the pedal board? Do you need new strings? Should we try a different pickup position? You know what I mean? Like should those types of things. Where- <laughs> well, and- I mean, Kyle. I mean, you've worked with some some like you know huge rock bands. I mean, have you had those types of conversations? Yeah, where you're talking about how you're going to address a certain issue. Um. It's just that thing, you know, there comes a time you just kind of know. But I, I think also the musician thing, um, it, and, and in Chris's instance of not being a mu- musician, it's kind of like hitting the sweet spot on a golf ball or a baseball. Um, if you start kids in music, sound, singing, being around it early, they get used to what the good vibrations are. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. It's like a sweet spot, you know, cause you're always trying to hit the sweet spot, whether you're in a room arena, you know, outdoors, w- whatever the case may be, like you're, you're trying to hit that sweet spot in the vibration. And that's why I wanted him to talk about monitors because 
it almost got there to the vibration thing with the ears and the wedges and as loud as it was like the movement of the air is like something that's almost like appeasing. And, um, if you hold a guitar against your, your body, you can feel if it's out of tune or in tune just from the vibrations through the neck, you know? So it's kind of like that, that theory applies. I'm glad we got to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, that's cool, man. I, you know, Kyle, when you were saying that I was thinking about, I, I, last year I did a little studio work with, with a friend of mine. He was a touring bass player for a long time. He's toured with some, some pretty big names. And by this point in his life, he has some pretty bad hearing loss. And so there's always like, he's got very strong ideas about what he wants and he has a very clear image of the project and the mix, but he'll also say like, you know, I'm really not kind of getting this and, you know, I need you to use your ears in this. And it's so funny because he'll kind of like, he'll be like, man, play me those background vocals again. And he'll lean forward and he'll turn his head a little bit and he'll think really hard. And they'll be like, uh, bring track two up like a DB and a half. And he, and I'm like, there's no way he's hearing this stuff. And he hears it and it's like, 99 times out of 100, I'm like, yep, that was exactly what it needed. And so I think that's kind of what you're talking about. It's not really about having, you know, he he, he can barely hear, but there's something that he's really clued into about the music and just how it feels to him. Yeah. And he knows when it's right and it's when it's not right. You know what I mean? The golf ball is the best reference I can give because when you hit a golf ball wrong so many times and you know how your hands feel, but once you hit it good, you're like, you're hooked. You love the the feeling of like making contact like that. And that's vibration, you know? So, um, I, I, I think that's the way you approach the mix, you know, with, with Denny at front of house dealing with, you know, maybe a club or a shed with Volbeat, you know, he has to deal with the vibration coming from the stage that's messing up the vibration he wants to make it house, you know? So <laughs> there's a different way to approach that, you know? I, it's Denny, I mean, Bob Dylan, man, like, I, let's, I just, we gotta, we gotta talk about, you can't, you can't have Bob Dylan on your resume and not talk about it a little bit. That, that's gotta be a pretty crazy experience, right? I mean, legend, you know? Well, I mean, to this day, you know, every gig, not every gig, but I, I have favorite gigs that were my favorite for a different reason. That was just by far my favorite work environment. Everyone, you know, I was by far the newest guy there by a long shot. Uh, and you know, they have a crew there that's been together for such a long time. I mean, it's, it's down to a science. They don't take any more gear than they need to do that show to the level that Mr. Dylan would like it done. Uh, and it's repeatable and it looks good every night and the fans eat it up, you know, uh, the, he, he's got a sort of cult following almost, you know, the, the, number of fans that follow him around from show to show to show is sort of staggering by comparison to other artists. Um, Mm. At that same time, it's, you know, I can't say enough nice things about the front of house engineer, Jason or the production manager, Al, both of those guys are absolutely mint human beings that I love hanging out with. Uh, You know, they, they, they put together a show there that has been, I should say a team that has been working together so well for so long. It's just, how could you not enjoy spending your time there? Yeah. I mean, it also, you know, it, it speaks a lot to me that you're getting, you're doing work for such varied uh, artists and genres of music. And, and there's, um, there's a lot to be, there's, there's one school of thought that says like this, this person mixes metal bands and that's all they do is mix metal bands. Like uh, my buddy, uh, Boz, um, you know, he does, he goes out and does all of these, you know, Breaking Benjamin and, and I think he did Godsmack and, and he does the, the Jason Bonham Zeppelin I, thing. I know and, Boz all too well. You know, yeah. So, and then he goes, I called him last year. I was like, what are you doing, man? He's like, Candy Tucker. And I was like, really? <laughs> you know? Boz gets around, doesn't he? Like one day it's Seven Dust, the other day it's Tanya Tucker. Where does the time go, man? It's it's just so funny to me, and and you know, and when you see the guy, and we got to get him on the show because I, I love this guy; he's amazing, and you know, just just huge giant of a guy, tattoos, big huge beard. I mean, you're like, yeah, you you definitely mix Breaking Benjamin. You know what I mean? He's got that the beard look for is truly sure. impressive. It's 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 legendary. And then so I went down to see him do Tanny Tucker, and uh, I'm like, man, he's killing it. Like she sounded great. It was a great show, you know. And I'm like, all right, Baz, you, you you're bringing it, man. You know, and so. Um, there's, there's that versatility there, uh, where, you know, the stuff that you would do with a PA that I would do with a PA for Bob Dylan would be totally different than what I would do for Metallica. But, you know, having that level of understanding of your craft at that high level where you can pull out your bag of tricks and say, 
I know what I need to do to make this particular gig a success. Well, I mean, that's pretty cool, man. You know, that comes down to one thing, and that's I like to think that among systems engineers, there are two kinds of people. There are those that do understand that it is 112% a customer service job and the ones that don't. Uh, and I have absolutely worked for some front of house engineers that don't want anything to do with smart or SIM or SysTune. They're like, get it away from me, do it by ear or get out. <laughs> and in those situations, it's like, okay. And furthermore, having the skill set to be able to do that to a degree where you still step back at the end of the night and go, you know, if I open smart, I'd probably see something I don't hear, but this sounds really good. And, you know, by that same token, also, you know, being fully prepared to work for someone that is a nerd to the ninth degree. Yeah, that, and that's that's something we talk about a lot on the show, and I think people always know I'm going to ask it, but it's because I asked that question for a reason. Being a system engineer to me is not is not just about how well you can read this software and put your mic and put the filters in. It's, it's very, very, very much about having these conversations. I need to be able to talk to the front house engineer. I need to be able to understand what they want. I need to be able to know how to do what they're asking for. I need to know when to speak up. I need to know when not to say anything. And that relationship has been completely wildly different with every single engineer that I've, that I've worked with, just like you're, you're talking about. And that to me is one of the biggest challenges of the job it has nothing to do with tuning a PA. Well, you know, funny enough, uh, a couple of nights ago, I was hanging out with my friend, Kenny Sellers, who mixes for 21 pilots. And he used some words that really kind of hit home with me. So I'm going to steal them. It's about being able to read the room and not in the sense of tuning the PA, but the people around you and the interactions that you have. Knowing the right, like you just said, knowing the right time to speak up. But I think those were really, really key words is knowing how to read the room and being good at that. I think, well, I'll talk about, you know, uh, uh, Robert Scoville came by one of our uh, smart webinars the other day, and it was really cool to have him there and to hear his thoughts. Because as you know, he's a big, he's really big into, you know, alignment and, and just does, does PA design and all that stuff too. And, and uh, Jamie calls Robert. Uh, the patron saint of situational awareness, you know, and that's, that's really what it is. You know, that's, it's, it's all about, that's great. Um, it, it's all about, like you said, I mean, you know, it, 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 I have a joke, you know, my girlfriend and I have this joke um, when one of us goes to a show or, you know, don't ask me how the show sounded unless you want an answer. I said, never, <laughs> never ask, <laughs> never ask a system tech how the show sounded unless you really want the answer. But you know, in in a work environment, there's a lot of times when you're when I'm not saying anything, you know, and and so it's it's really about um, it's it's almost uh, I hate to use the term politics, but it's very very much about understanding the context for everything that you do and everything you choose not to do, and that, and that that's something that's pretty difficult to navigate at first, I would say. Oh, I agree. Uh, uh, I'll come out and admit it. I learned it the hard way. I really did. And I had to learn it the hard way. And I don't think I would be where I am today without it. And I truly believe that, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, guess it was what early 2015. So that was the time when I was working for 21 pilots and I didn't know when to say no. And I lost that gig because of it. And, you know, amongst other things, but, you know, it's really one of those things. I look back on that and I think that was probably one of the greatest moments of let alone my career, but my life, because it was like, it was a lesson in politics. And I, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be where I am today if that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have left that and left on good terms with many of those people because we all still work together today. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's that, uh, the old saying, right? Like experience is something you get just after you need it. Um, <laughs> like a, a lot, a lot of these are hard lessons, man, but, uh, they're, they're really, really important. And that's, that's, that's something that I really, um, spend a lot of time thinking about, which is like you said, when to say no, um, when do you just shut up and take it, take your lumps and, and do what you have to do. And when do you, when do you speak up and go like, you know, I really don't think that's a good idea. Um, and, and finding that line and all the variables that play into that and how trusted you are by the parties involved and, and, and like that, that's some tricky stuff, man. And that's, that's what keeps your gig or doesn't keep your gig. I think way more than how well you can mix or how well you can, you know, tune a PA or anything like that. Yeah. True story. Be, be, you know, I like to look at it a little bit like this. It's like, you never know who's going to be in charge tomorrow. So always be humble and, uh, you know, check yourself and try to do a good job and be nice to everyone while you do it. Chris Bryan. So I'm curious, Denny. Uh, so you're doing uh, system tech work and front of house mixing at a at a reasonably high level at both, right? So, um, 
I'm curious as to experience. Wait, 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 wait. If Bob Dylan's a reasonably high level, what? No, what? what, I, what <laughs> I just want to figure no, out my, what, my, what my my point. No, my, when I, the correlation I was making is that that <laughs> oft, often people don't system tech and engineer at like an a level it's like they're they're like you know system teching maybe at a level and mixing at a b level something like that but like yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. no I, yeah but, yeah it's not that common yeah, yeah for sure um i'm curious um emotionally experientially what what um what do you get out of the experience doing one versus the other uh, does one drive you more than the other? One give you more fulfillment than the other? Talk about that experience uh, that you receive uh, in both experiences. Uh, okay. Well, yes and no. They're both they're, so they're both sort of similar in a lot of ways. So I mean, I d- there's something to be said about the moment when you unmute the console in front of house and the downbeat happens and the crowd goes insane for something that you are controlling. Uh, that is, you know, to, to you, for lack of better words, that is a high that I don't think I'll ever experience anywhere else to that degree. Um, at the same time that, you know, it kind of like tickles the creative thing a little bit that that's kind of where that goes. And, you know, it definitely, definitely, you know, works the musician part of your brain, but in a lot of ways I have to force myself to turn off the technology in that moment because I will definitely start overthinking things. If I don't, I have to kind of go into music mode, but as a systems engineer, it's a totally different thing of putting in a lot of time and effort, particularly with an artist that will give you the time and the tools to do something to the ninth degree. And at the end of the night, when you walk around the venue and you go, wow, I think this might be plus or minus four DB everywhere. And it's just, true as perfect as it was ever going to get with the technology of today. Uh, And that is also an excitement that's what's the word I'm looking for. I don't want to say like euphoric, but it's Uh, fulfilling, fulfilling. Yeah. Fulfilling is a great, great choice word there. It's very fulfilling when, you know, all the effort that you applied into doing that when you, when you see it all the way to success, long way of saying that. No, I, I like that. And and I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, for me, there's definitely a moment when I have to switch brains, so to speak, um, and focus on the mix, you know, and stop worrying about all my, my delay zones and everything. But um, there's definitely, I, I'm going to use the word security for lack of a better term, or, or confidence maybe that when I'm mixing, if I know that the PA has been tuned well in a way that I'm happy with, um, that I stop having to worry about you know, yeah, but you know, do I need, is, is it going to be too bright down front if I do? I mean, we've all mixed in those clubs where what you were hearing in front of house was totally different than what the audience was hearing, right? Like we've all done that. And that's just on your mind the whole night about consciously kind of steering the boat to the left a little bit just because it's pulling to the right everywhere else, you know, that type of thing. And so there's, there's a nice sort of uh, mixing experience that I have where I enjoy the mix more when I can just kind of relax into the mix and know that, like you said, yeah. I checked this earlier. I know it's translating well everywhere else. So I'm going to stop worrying about, you know, my variants here. I'm just going to kind of try to do a really nice mix, you know, and that that's, that's a, uh, (laughs) it's a more comfortable uh, mixing experience for me. Uh, Definitely. And I I definitely feel like I go well out of my way to make sure that there's somebody that I trust a lot sitting next to me at front of house, you know, to to name a couple, you know, uh, James Butera, who's worked with me a lot on Miguel. Uh, He's out of Dallas, Texas. He's fantastic systems engineer. And also uh, Charlie Albin from Major Tom. He's uh, based uh, in the UK and uh, Pierre Mollerstedt. He does a lot of work with Bright Group and uh, Meyer Sound. He's based in Scandinavia. Those three guys in particular, if any of those guys are standing next to me at front of house that evening or, you know, also uh, Tommy Lyon uh, from uh, Ultrasound, he's mixing Dave Matthews band. These no, days. Tommy's, Tommy's the best, he, man. I love Tommy. He's at all of those guys definitely fall on the one hand of the top five systems engineers I think of on planet Earth. Uh, and, you know, definitely having those guys at front of house, it's, it's always a pleasure. It's comforting. You don't ever worry about something going wrong. It's like the system's set up fine. The redundancy's there. If something breaks, they'll fix it all the way to the world is not on your shoulders because when there's 50 or 60,000 people standing around you, that's a lot of weight. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. You had, you had mentioned like taking time to change your mentality of like being in music mode. Um, you know, I had a recent, um, 
experience, uh, you know, that obviously in the mix of this crazy world, most of us haven't mixed much this year, right? Um, and I got to mix a couple times uh, at the church recently. And, you know, um, and these guys know Michael and, and Kyle and stuff. Like, it was afterwards I was, like, I was on such a rush of, like, getting to have that experience again um, and not wanting to take for granted what that emotional feeling was like to just feel the energy of the music kind of flowing through you. You know, and I had made a post about it, and someone someone had asked me, he was like, hey, did you, you know, did you find yourself trying even harder to get every ounce of perfection you could out of it? You know, and it was an interesting question, and I thought about it, um, and I don't think I thought about this in a moment when I was mixing. However, looking back, I did, and it's something I think I want us as a community to hold on to as we as we do start to come back to work. And my answer was yes, I said, but you know, I took time to just kind of be in the moment and based in the experience, right? So, like, I, I think something we need to, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I'm I'm big on more the, the experiential side of what we do, uh, and you know, we do we spend so much time on the tech. At the end of the day, there's this um, emotional experience that, like, as ultimately what carries us, and to take time to just, you know, obviously you can't let things fall by the wayside with the mixing, but take take time to just be in that moment and 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 just don't let that go. So, it, you know, it's more of a personal experience, but you reminded me when you said of like making sure you know cha- taking that tech hat off for a minute putting your mind in the headspace of the audience that you're mixing for, right? We're here to deliver an experience for people. So you might as well be, if you can't be in the headspace of that experience, then you're probably going to miss that bar. I think I agree for the most part. Yeah. I'm with you on that. It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> I, much I, of a uh, question. It was more of, it was more <laughs> of an observation statement. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know what? We got a couple cool questions that came into our email signal number two noise podcast at gmail.com, uh, which goes again, it goes straight to Kyle. So any, any hate mail, bad jokes, uh, memes, anything like that, send them, send them to Kyle, please. Um, <laughs> and we, you can go to signal the noise podcast.com. Now we got a little, little web form on there. Um, Aaron Rupp, uh, who's out your way, Kyle, I think, right. Uh, in, in St. Louis. I don't know if he's in St. Louis. I know he's in my area. He he said he's the St. Louis drive-by barbecue pit stop guy. So I, I assume that he's been in your area at least. But he sent some cool questions in. Um, and the first one, like Denny, I think you're the perfect dude to talk about this with. Um, Aaron asked, uh, what do you think about being more or less specialized in your particular field versus being a jack of all tra- trades and willing and able to do many different things? So you know, saying, okay, I'm only a mix engineer. I know nothing about networked audio. I know nothing about, you know, I just do front of house. I don't know how to mix monitors. I don't know how to tune PA, but I'm just really, really good at front of house versus, you know, I can do a lot of tasks. I'm not at, you know, I'm not in an A level on, on everything, but I'm useful in a bunch of different jobs. I mean, you, you do a lot of stuff at a high level, dude. So like, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on a question like that? Well, I mean, I think it depends on your career goals for, to be frank. I mean, if all you ever want to be is a front of house engineer, then, you know, it might be safe for you to focus on that. And then maybe foray into some of the things immediately around you, like knowing a little bit about systems engineering, or, you know, that we've seen this huge push recently and buzz in the industry towards object based spatial mixing. So, you know, maybe go learn about that or how to use that. And, you know, and all those things, yeah, you could kind of focus yourself, find that concentration for what you want to do. But then, you know, there are also people that want to be a little more well-rounded. So, you know, I try to, I, I always, you know, I really enjoy being a production manager and, you know, I've worked with enough people to see what I don't ever want to be. And mm-hmm. I definitely, you know, you learn from that and you go, well, you know, it would probably be better, you know, if I'm, if I'm the production manager, if I could sort of speak in all of the other different departments and have some understanding about how things work or what are best practices and things like that. Um, and, you know, also outside of things that are not necessarily, uh, you know, audio, lighting, video, automation, special effects, you know, it's like, I, I don't know, let's let's learn how to balance a budget. <laughs> That's a pretty key thing as a production manager. Uh, so, you know, all of these things, uh, I think it's. It's all about where you want to go. In my mind, that's an opinion, of course. But uh, if you want to, if you want to be focused, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In my opinion, but you know, there's definitely a lot of merit in branching out. I, I think that's about as fair an answer as you're going to get. Um, you know, I I, I know that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I know there are there are gigs that I've gotten. 
uh, to do something that I'm just totally not interested in. Like, I mean, I get a couple calls a year to mix monitors, usually for big, huge, loud metal bands, <laughs> but it's and it's just not a pleasant day for me. Um, but the reason that people, you know, these people keep calling me back to do this gig is obviously I'm, I'm not completely doing a horrible job or they wouldn't keep calling me, but, um, you know, to be able to just go in and do that job because someone needs to do this job and I can say, yeah, I can come in and do this job for you. Um, you know, I, I've done theatrical lighting hangs and focuses and, and just, I can, I'm not an LD, but I can get around that world well enough to be useful in that environment. And that means that I get put on you know, on job sites to do that work. So I'm certified so, on a ladder at Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a bold line between being qualified to do something and enjoying doing it. Nobody said you yeah, had to man. be, you had to enjoy it to be good at it. That's, that's true. That's true. Um, for sure. I, I mean, the and Kyle's talking, well, you've talked a lot about that, Kyle. I mean, you, you cause you did, <laughs> Kyle sent us Kyle sent us a video to it. We have a group text for Signal Noise, and he sent us the uh, basically a, a small uh, tour of his ladder in his aisle at, at Home Depot, aisle five, where he was uh, he was doing his thing. <laughs> so, um, no, I think I mean, like all jokes aside, there's 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 some real value in being able to, being able to do a job, even if you don't like the job, because it makes you money, right? Like even if it's not something you want to do. Like, okay, I can do this though. And so I can take that gig, you know, there, there's some real value there as well. Sure. I but I mean, even, something we should... even beyond that, if all you ever wanted to be was front of house engineer for a band, it probably behooves you to understand, you know, what are these lighting fixtures? What do they weigh? How are we going to hang them? What does all this automation stuff weigh? You know, and those aren't terribly complicated things to need to understand, but it's definitely important from my perspective, you know, dealing with shows that are always too heavy for the building you're trying to hang them in. You know, those are all parameters that apply to audio, not just the production manager role. For sure. You know, it made me think of a uh, shout out to my man, Kevin McCoy, who's been on the show before. Uh, he when he was out uh, mixing one of the Hamilton tours, um, I was watching the the film of it and there was a lighting fixture that I spotted in the rig and, you know, I'm not, I'm not allowed these. So like I can spot the common ones, but I said, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with that fixture. And so I just sent him a text and I said, Hey man, uh, you know, there's this fixture and it's in this position. And I, you know, do you know what that fixture is? And he's like, yeah, it's this. And the reason you don't recognize it is because it's got this special lens on it. And here's the link. And he knew immediately. And I was like, yeah, this is a great example of he knows what's going on with, the production. He understands the elements at play and his role in that. And he's not just got his head down buried and throwing the faders around. And um, there's some real value to that. So, so even for people who are, you know, working at that high level and they're specialized and, you know, you go and you do this one thing, you do it really well. I mean, I still tend to see those people, like you said, Denny, they've got the awareness, they've got the context, they're able to, you know, read the room. Right. And to, see what their role is in the larger production. And um, that's the kind of thing that makes people want to have you around on a job site. Without doubt. I mean, you also took it to another level there by mentioning someone like Kevin who works in theater. Now in transparency, I don't know the guy, but he did a lovely video with Adam Savage from tested and Mythbusters. <laughs> uh, and beyond that though, you know, theater guys do some and, and, and girls do things that are beyond impressive to a silly like rock and roll pop touring guy like me. Uh, and you know, as oh, I have, it's a different world, as I have man. learned it's, in it's recent cool. times, <laughs> they do some of that insane stuff for not nearly as much money as they deserve. Uh, and some of the, you know, like I always, the most insane sort of Broadway, it's a Cirque show that I've ever seen. So spectacle is the Beatles love in Las Vegas. And just seeing how that production works, there's 6,000 speakers in that room. And that's not an exaggeration. That show is absolutely insane. And the people that put it together are impressive beyond rapport. I, I, I will admit, you know, that's been something that I've really enjoyed getting into. Uh, and I've said it on the show before, I, I'm not, I've done a little bit of theater. I haven't done, a, a, you know, very much theater. And so... It really is a different world in a lot of ways in terms of how they approach it. I mean, to watch to watch a rock engineer mix that show and 
like you know to see what that looks like physically and what's required to watch the theater person mix a musical theater. It's it's just completely uh, the, crazy. The dance on the DCAs is the most impressive yeah, part. That said, and I'm going to put this out here because I've never seen anyone else do it. So next time you're in front of a console that has a Dugan auto mixer on one of your empty channels in the same bank so that it should still affect all the other channels, put in like a 1K tone and use that to key against all the other mics. Have you guys ever done that? No, that's so interesting. I, do, th- about I it, do this on Volbeat and Miguel to get the stage noise out of the vocal mics because it, it behaves sort of it's gain sharing, but it, it behaves like a gate that doesn't chatter is the way I kind of describe it to everybody. But it's it's one thing to have, you know, 12 mics, you know, lav mics and people on a panel. But, you know, it's like if everybody gets quiet for a minute, you know how the room noise kind of comes up. If you guys experienced that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So if you just put a 1K tone down on the end and feather its weight appropriately, can't do it with pink noise. It has too much too much sonic energy. But if you do it with a 1K tone, you can essentially gate all that noise out so that when nobody's talking, the 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 1K tone wins. And then you just don't route the 1K tone out of your output bus. So if you haven't tried it, try it. It'll change your life. And so and it, you have the insert point pre-faded at that point, right? Uh, Well, now it doesn't. Nece- okay. I don't want to say it doesn't matter because everybody's like, oh, it's got to be post-fade. And if you're in that situation where that mute matters, then yeah, it needs to be post-fader. But in a situation like a touring gig, in my situation, it doesn't matter whether it's pre or post-fader. Because mm-hmm. the fader still has its effect, but I don't care about the mute button affecting the Dugan. Because it's either the vocalist is singing or he's not. Mm-hmm. So there's there's never more than one person, unless if you're in the middle of the show, you'll get some background vocals from time to time. So that's the first time I've heard Dugan being used in rock and roll. Gotta try it. It tripped me out. That's a juicy little nugget, man. That's that's one of the juiciest little nuggets we've had on the show, maybe. And it's up there. That's pretty cool. I think we're going to get some uh, get some emails about that. Along with the the hate mail and the penis enlargement pill advertisements and all that stuff that Kyle has to dig through. Oh man, how do I, they I find a, me? How do that's what I want? How do, how do they know? How do they find me? I, I have a completely different Dugan trick for corporate though. Let's um, lay it out, man. Let's do it. Um, so in in corporate, uh, and you always go into records or the broadcast or whatever. Um, there's always going to be a noise floor of whatever HVAC or whatever is happening in the room. Um, and so if you have everyone on Dugan, um, and, you know, and there's moments of, of no, no speech or whatever, um, the life will get sucked out of it because it's trying to basically reduce all of them, all of them down. Um, and so in order to keep a constant noise floor, it's, you know, it's not like it's a loud noise floor, but just to keep that HVAC normal. So you don't hear like that, you don't hear this like pumping of the background noise. I'll take um, typically one of the either the moderator or the lectern or somebody who is active in it, um, and I'll insert them on the Dugan. Oh, sorry, well, I'll have them routed to the Dugan, but don't have the insert active. Uh, and so one of them is um, is never actually getting clamped down, but when that person speaks, it's still affecting all of the others. And so your noise floor can stay constant throughout uh, for your records and for your broadcast. I like that. That's a good tip. There you go. See? We just kind of, I like this whole auto mixer thing came out of left field, but man, this is interesting. This is good stuff here. And the so. Dugan and Dan Dugan, if you're listening, you're one of my favorite people on planet Earth. <laughs> you have saved my life more times than I can count. But I mean, I, I think the Dugan auto mixer might be one of still as much as it's used. I think it might be one of the most underused tools in the audio toolbox. And didn't he? He just won like a like a Grammy or a or he a, did get a, some a, big a, award. I don't remember yeah, what it was. Yeah, I'm sure someone will point it out on on Facebook how how badly we've misidentified the award that he's been given. Some sort of achievement award <laughs> of some sort. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I uh, an Emmy I, award. I, it's an Emmy award. Thank you, Google. Yeah, yeah. I have saved no, it an Emmy hate mail. Yeah, Emmy. <laughs> yeah I, I, I knew Grammy real, didn't make sense. Real time fact check. See that? Is, 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 we can do real time fact check here. On Signal Noise podcast, uh, there's nothing stopping us doing it, it, it on the major yeah. network. I just want to throw that out there too. All right. <laughs> oh man, uh, Denny, I, I I feel like we could we could talk about stuff like this for hours, man. I, I uh, really appreciate you sharing your sharing your knowledge and coming on the show and and 
and chatting with us, dude. It's been a really cool conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's kind of humbling because I'm you know there's definitely been some uh, some people on on this show that's you know they're truly impressive and it's been great to listen and listen to what they have to Kyle, say. Like Kyle, yeah, like See? Kyle. Kyle. I told you I called I called our local Midas distributor about two years ago, uh, about a year ago. It was about a year ago, and um, he said, "So yeah, what are you up to lately, man?" I said, "You know, I'm doing a pod, I'm doing a podcast with uh, with Kyle Turnside," and he says. You know Kyle Turnside? I said, yeah, I do a show with him. He goes, that guy's a legend, man. And he, Six degrees he all of Kyle sudden... Turnside in, in our industry. It's not Kevin Bacon. Uh, I, I'm the Kevin Bacon of the audio industry. He is. Everybody, everybody knows Kyle or knows someone who knows Kyle. So, no, it's uh, – Denny, it's, it is cool, man. And I have to say, you know, in terms of uh, boots on the ground system text, man, I'm always – always looking forward to hearing your thoughts on stuff. And I always, you always have something cool to contribute. So uh, you give me a lot of cool stuff to think about and uh, food for thought. And I, I appreciate that very much, dude. So it's, it's a, uh, it's definitely welcome. Well, and thank you, man. You've definitely been a great resource for me over, over the little bit of time we've known each other. That's cool. Thanks for being uh, Kyle. Uh, let's, let's tie it off with it, with bring it back around to food. Let's tie it off. Well, we kind of did hit the taco thing. We did. Um, um what, what can we talk about? Uh, I always, I'm late to Nashville barbecue. I always just go to Jack's because that's usually where we're staying close by. That's and what everybody like, says, though. But it's just like the good old thing. But yes, you are correct. The little gems are found out in the weird spots. Like if, if you stay by the airport in Nashville, there's probably like a little weird gym there. I definitely found one in South Carolina that was awesome. Um, I don't know. I'm full right now, dude. I just had. Food. That's cool. Well, then we're good. Then we're good. <laughs> and uh, so, and I think uh, I, I, I uh, we're probably getting close because we record these ahead of time, obviously. But uh, we do want to wish all of our listeners out there a very happy New Year and uh, peace and love, and hopefully uh, some good family time. And uh, we'll talk to everybody really soon. <laughs>